Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, I print bulletins generally. I like to print them on Wednesday. And that usually everything's in concrete at that point. And I start thinking about sermon Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but I really don't work on it that much until Saturday because I like sort of the crush of it all and trying to come up with something. And it's a, it's a very spiritual day for me. In fact, Saturday is my Sabbath, I would say, because I'm preparing for what I do Sunday. And so I'm in there yesterday in my study, which is a very peaceful place. It's on the third floor of our house, and it's like a, uh, a tree house almost up there because I look outside on my, the trees and the birds and things. It's very peaceful being up there. And I, I start reading the lessons, that lesson from Isaiah 43.1. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name, and thou art mine. And that got me to thinking about the hymn that we sung for the gradual, I Know That My Redeemer Liveth, from, from Job, uh, the 19th chapter, 25th through 27th verse. And he actually got the inspiration for that from Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is a book in the Bible. If you open the Bible to the center, there's Psalms, go to the right, and there's Proverbs. There's a simple way of finding it. And uh, Proverbs was written about 1,000 B.C., and Job was written about 500 B.C., roughly. Um, and so both of those are very peaceful for me. I know that my Redeemer liveth. Uh, and if you take a look at that last verse on there, we'll be saying that at the close of the sermon today. That's a very powerful verse. But when you think about Job, I know some of us have done a Bible study on Job, and first thing that we remember is Job lost everything. He lost his family, he lost his possessions, he had nothing. But that certainly is the message, or one of the messages of, of Job. But I think the message that's really important is Job knew that his Redeemer liveth that he would always take care of him. So when he was going through all his misery and stuff, my Redeemer's right there. He's going to get me through this. In Newfoundland, um, they used to say, we will muck through this yuck together. And sometimes that's, yeah, I funnel everything through humor. So sometimes when I'm having a rough day or a rough time, I go, we'll muck through this yuck together. And actually, you can, if you've ever been up there, you can see the Newfie people, the way they would say that, and uh, very happy people. Um, never saw one really depressed. They're always happy and happy to see you uh, up there. They're very good, godly people, most of them up there. That lesson from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's Deuteronomy 6, I think about the sixth verse. And the, the good Hebrew people back then would wear their little boxes on their heads, and they would have those verses all crammed on in there. But they didn't read them or say them like, here is, you know, no, they were passionate 
about what they believed. So fair question. Are you passionate about what you believe or are you sort of like da-da-da-da-da-da? God calls us to be passionate. And then the second verse I'm going to go into is from the epistle. Ephesians 5. Um, I told this story a long time ago, so I think I can tell it again. When I was in Scotland as a priest in, in uh, there, at the Episcopal Church in town, a woman came up to me and said, and we were walking in town, she says to me, do you believe everything in the Bible? And I said, give me chapter and verse to <laughs> talk about. How about that stuff in Ephesians? And I said, yes. She looked at me with total, I mean, this woman had total disgust for me. And I said, can we agree to disagree? And she said, no. And she walked away. We eventually became very good friends, but they, I would say we had our rough times because being a conservative and standing up for what you believe sometimes causes friction. But the flip side of that is never say anything and, and let them think that you're as uh, like them and you don't read Ephesians. I think the thing is, when you start taking things out of the Bible, where do you begin and where do you end? Scripture is uh, written by men, inspired by God. And I can see that scripture sometimes seems to contradict itself, but we're called to work those out. I know that my Redeemer liveth. We are a redeemed people. Do you feel redeemed? Would people say that you look redeemed? A redeemed person has a certain spiritualness about them. They don't have to say things necessarily. They just have that calmness and that peace of God that flows out from them. Do you have it? Do you want it? Peace is something that comes upon you that God inspires in you to have. We're coming into a very, uh, in my opinion, and most people would say in their opinion too, the most important time of the Christian year. We have Palm Sunday here, and I love Palm Sunday. Jean Yarbrough's not here, I can say what, <laughs> she says, I love going outside and waving the palms around, disturbing the locals, maybe, because it shows, you know, you should be in church, you swine, you know, you know. <laughs> Waving those things, I have, there's a picture actually, I think on our, our webpage of me, you know, going like this. Because it's, it's, a, it's a joyous time that day. And so we come in here and Gene, and what do we sing? Um, that hymn. All glory, Lord, and honor. Great hymn. And we come in here and we walk around in figure eights and all sorts of dangerous things. And, and it's, it's a joyous, joyous time. Gene Yarnwell said to me a few years ago, she said, I don't like that walk outside. I like it, so we're going to do it. She may, if you see her frown, look and see if she frowns, because she'll tell you what she likes and what she doesn't like, but she doesn't like it. I think it's great. Palm Sunday. And then if you look ahead, 
five days. Good Friday. Let's take a look at that. It's called the, uh, the Paschal Tritium. Now, yesterday I did a dangerous thing. I wrote this sermon, and then I asked my wife if she wanted to read it. That's the first time I can remember ever doing that. So she, she read it, and she says, how are you going to pronounce tritium? And I said, mm, how are you going to tell me how to pronounce it? <laughs> so she has this thing on her telephone that gives the pronunciation of these words. And so we went through it, and it, it's T-R-I-D-U-U-M. So one way to pronounce it is tritium, which is just not right. I've always pronounced it tritium. And if I say it quick and with conviction, most people don't know that I may be pronouncing it wrong. But tritium, three days. And if you look at our prayer book beginning on page 152, you don't have to. I'm just telling you where it is in case you want to look it on up. We have three days, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter even. Or in the 79 prayer book, we actually have the Easter vigil service. Last week, I talked about that and having the service outside. And I said, next year, I hope to have it. We may indeed, if the weather gets nice this year, have it outside on uh, Easter even, the night before Easter. And what it is, is, is the lighting of the, primarily the lighting of the Paschal candle. That candle, which is back now by the baptismal font, it stays back there, except when we have funerals, it's up here. And then also it stays up here in the center in the choir area, that's where we put it here, uh, for what is called the Great 50. And that is from Easter to Pentecost, some say Ascension, doesn't make any difference to me whether it is or isn't, but it's called the Great 50. And What's going to happen either if we do that service, the deacon does what's known as the exultant. Now, I'll get into that in a couple of minutes, but if he doesn't do it that day, then on Easter Sunday, we're going to do, he's going to do the exultant here in church before the service begins. It's a beautiful, beautiful words that come out of that, and again, I'll get to that in a little bit. So, you can think of Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Eve, as three separate events. Or I got looking at them and I thought, no, they're one event, it's three stages, three things you did, taking them in their entirety. You go Monday, Thursday, um, we have a service here, it's a very quiet service. Perhaps we start off with a little, just a little organ music. We, um, there's the, the liturgy, but there is no blessing and no dismissal. How the service goes, we come in, we're a little bit okay, a little bit joyous. But as the reading of the gospel takes place, we come into a very somber place. We realize what's going to happen. This is the night that Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. This is the night that he goes to the garden and he says to his disciples, wait here for me. 
He goes in and prays, and he comes out, and they are asleep. And he says, couldn't you be with me just a little bit? Couldn't you be with me an hour? And, he, and then it's also the night where Judas betrays Jesus. It's also the night that one of his disciples, Mark, we think, uh, cut off the ear of one of the soldiers. It's also the time before morning when Peter denies Jesus three times. This is a very somber time as we reflect on that. We have communion, and in communion, in the, uh, what we say in the consecration, celebrate, that word celebrate should be omitted at that time, that one time, in my opinion. And then after the communion, we take everything off the altar. It's called the stripping of the altar. And everything is quietly put in the sacristy by the altar gill. Sometimes, and I think we've done in the past, we actually wash down the altar and clean it. And then we open the door to the tabernacle, that's the brass thing that holds the reserved sacraments, and exposed there is one host, the bread, and some of the blood of Christ behind it. And those doors are open through Good Friday. And then again, there's no blessing at the end of the service, no dismissal. The lights are dimmed, and we leave in quietness. We return again on Good Friday at 12 noon. We do a service here. And it's kind of a one-off service. There's none other like it uh, in our prayer book. Or our, we normally have celebrations on Sunday. Good Friday is just a solemn, quiet day. The custom is in many churches that people come in and stay in church for three hours and just sit in the pews and think about it. Whether you do that or not is up to you. You're not going to go to hell if you don't do it, but you know that's what some people do. I think the, the whole thing of the tritium is to stop and pause in our busy lives and reflect what happened on the cross for the likes of you and me. The service on Good Friday concludes shortly after the gospel reading. And again, there's no blessing and there's no dismissal. Next, we gather on Easter Even for the following ancient liturgy. And if we do the Easter Vigil, also called the Paschal Vigil or the Great Vigil of Easter, it's the first official celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. Historically, during that service, people are baptized. Now, in the past, we've done, and again, the liturgy is open, we're open to be able to include or, or, or do things as we want. It's not really that rigid. But the service, in my opinion, on Easter vigil in the church, is the Easter lilies and everything are in the back, ready to come up once it's Sunday. But what we've done in the past is the service transforms at the beginning of the Eucharist, at the consecration. 
and the altar guild at that point and parishioners would then bring the flowers forward or having a, um, a change of mood. The beginning part of that service is somber. The last part of the service is joyous because it is the first service of Easter. So at the beginning of the Eucharist, we're in a joyous mood. We go from just like that and in a joyous mood because we realize Christ is risen. And we say out with great joy, he is risen indeed. Again, I have told you before this story, some of you have heard it, some of you have not. My mother, besides being a lousy cook, used to have a practice on Easter morning beginning at about 5.30. She would call all five of her children and say, he has risen. And we had to respond with, he has risen indeed, or else she would continue. Then she'd go down the list and call all the kids, and then she'd start over again. And we'd be thinking to ourselves, you old lady, you need to stop this. But she was so excited because my mother lived the tribute. She allowed herself to get sorrowful, somber, pause, and then she appreciated Easter in a special way. I try to do as she does and do the same things and live Easter that the tritium that way so that I can proclaim on Easter for me. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that kept Job afloat. The lighting of the Paschal candle, the deacon reads the exultant. Now some deacons, and Brian's a good enough singer, he may sing it. We will have to wait and see. But it goes like this. Rejoice now, heavenly hosts and choirs of angels, and let your trumpets shout salvation for the victory of our mighty king. Rejoice and sing now, all the round earth, bright with a glorious splendor, for darkness has been vanquished by our eternal King. Rejoice and be glad now, Mother Church, and let your holy courts and radiant light resound with the praises of your people. Now when he says that, he's going to be up here when he ends. He's going to put the Paschal candle in the stand, and then he's going to return to you and say, or sin, we don't know. All you who stand near this marvelous and holy flame, pray with me to God, the Almighty, for the grace to sing the worthy praise of this great light through Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. I love it. And I pray that you love it too as we come into this season. Of Easter. Now, if you that music sheet you had, for, I know that my Redeemer liveth. If you pull that out, incidentally, on your way out, if you take both those sheets of music and put them back where the bulletins were, we can reuse them again. So the last verse, verse eight. If you'd be good enough to say that along with me, He lives. All glory to His name. 
He lives, my Savior, still the same. What joy this blessed assurance gives. I know that my Redeemer lives. And I pray that you do, too. Amen.